0: Hi, Andy.
1: Hi, Victoria.
0: We have a very interesting guest today. He's actually one of our fellowship graduates, uh, Dr. Akhil Palasami, and his focus is on on autoimmune disease.
1: Well, that's very timely because autoimmune diseases are increasing in our population, probably for many reasons. And uh, I think integrative medicine is a very powerful approach to managing it.
0: Well, let's hear what he has to say. Dr. Akhil Palanasami is an integrative medicine physician and the department chair for integrative medicine at the Sutter Health Institute for Health and Healing. He is the author of The Tiger Protocol, an integrative five-step program to treat and heal your autoimmunity, and also The paleo Diet, a complete program to burn fat, increase energy, and reverse disease. Welcome, Akhil.
2: Thank you so much, Victoria and Andy. Great to be with you.
0: Uh, Akhil, to start with, you designed a protocol to address autoimmunity. Uh, Can you briefly describe the TIGER protocol?
2: Yes. And um, the reason I designed this was that I noticed that many of my patients with autoimmune disease were hungry for this kind of information in terms of integrative medicine. And also they were often on medications that were powerful immune suppressants with certain side effects and long-term risks. And not a lot of attention was given to their diet, lifestyle, stress, or other factors. And so I put together what I found from the research to be five drivers of autoimmunity and other chronic inflammatory diseases into the TIGER acronym. And so that stands for toxins, infections, gut health, eating, so optimal diet, and rest, which encompasses sleep and managing stress. So these were the five key factors that I put together in the TIGER protocol.
1: Akil, do you find that autoimmunity is becoming more common? My impression is that it is. Yes, absolutely.
2: It is uh, one of the fastest growing categories of disease and I'm increasingly seeing uh, young children as well, where Mm. it's growing quite rapidly in pediatrics, um, as young as like five or six years old in in my practice. Um, And yes, it it definitely seems to be um, skyrocketing. So for example, um, celiac disease appears to have increased by 500% in in Mm. the past 50 years. So clearly too rapid for a genetic explanation.
1: So what do you think are the drivers of this?
2: So I think it's a perfect storm of these um, five factors, all of which are really becoming more prominent in our uh, environment. So the rise of environmental toxins, rise of infections and drug-resistant bacteria and microbes, real significant deterioration of the gut microbiome in both uh, adults and children. We could talk more about the reasons for that. Changes in the food supply, changes in our in our diet. And then dramatic increase in stress as well with our modern lifestyle. So I think it's really a perfect storm of
1: these five factors. Do you think that COVID is one of the infections that you'd call responsible?
2: Uh, I do, yeah, because there's early research showing that there there may be a slight increase in risk of autoimmune disease from COVID. There have been case reports of individuals diagnosed with new onset autoimmune diseases right after COVID infection, and also with long COVID. Some yeah. research thinks it may be a, a autoimmune component.
0: Yeah, I've been seeing those um, explanations for long COVID, and certainly one of them is this potential of. Uh, the activation of autoimmunity. I, I want to get back to the T, uh, which is toxins. Um, I know that uh, this is something that I've focused a lot um in uh, my professional work. Andy has spoken a lot about this, but um, why is it that toxins trigger an autoimmune reaction?
2: By toxins, uh, I'm not referring to obvious toxins like cigarette smoke, um, although smoking is well known to raise the risk of Autoimmunity. Um, These are low level chronic exposures over many years and decades, um, which are really not well studied. Um, But in the book, I review 20 different toxins that have each been individually tied to increased risk of autoimmune disease things like heavy metals, other industrial compounds, pollutants, PFCs, PDBEs, and there's a long list. But a couple of the mechanisms that seem to be involved one is oxidative stress. So toxins generate higher levels of oxidative stress in the body. And research also shows that patients with autoimmune disease tend to have lower levels of antioxidants in their blood. So Mm -hmm. I think that's one factor. And then second is a component of the the bystander effect. Because for example, with mercury, it has been shown that it, it can combine with human cells to create these chimeric cells, which the immune system then recognizes as foreign. And so it attacks those cells. And uh, the bystander effect is where there's collateral damage to the surrounding tissues as a result of this toxin trigger.
0: Wow. I have never thought of myself as a part human, part metal. (laughs) (laughs) Right. right, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) But so what can people do to uh, reduce some of these toxic exposures that are really so ubiquitous in our environment?
2: Yes, I think there's two things I recommend. One is reducing exposure to toxins in multiple ways. And then second is boosting the body's innate detox pathways because it does have built-in multiple mechanisms of detoxification that if we can just support that can actually have pretty rapid effects. So for example, one study found that switching to a mostly organic diet led to 80% reduction in urine pesticide levels within seven days. And another study found that Reducing exposure to flame retardants. So clearing dust in the home, which often contains this, and then hand washing, because often that's hand washing before meals. That's a- another mm-hmm. source of it. So that reduced the PDBE or flame retardant levels in the body by about 45% in just three days. So I think that reducing exposures can have rapid effects. And then I also recommend boosting detox pathways.
0: Andy, I know that you've had a chance to experience some of the Ayurvedic. Panchakarma, which is the, the detoxification yeah. protocols, which are really, I think, most intensively designed in Ayurveda compared to maybe any other traditional uh, system in conventional medicine as well. I, maybe you could speak a little to your experience and, and what you think about those for modern use.
1: Well, I mean, uh, some of the components of that are steam baths to increase sweating. Drinking lots of fluid to increase urinary excretion, really eating a a very clean diet for a period of time. Uh, detoxification also includes massage techniques, mm-hmm. which is not very cost effective in this country because often they'll have six people working on you at the same time. But I think those are the major components. Ayurveda is very focused on accumulation of waste in the body and ways of getting rid ways of getting rid of it. And I also have found. One of the areas that Ayurveda is particularly effective in is treating autoimmunity.
2: Yes, I would agree. And I have found in pre and post testing of some of my patients who have gone through Panchakarma, which is the intensive Ayurveda detoxification, that there's typically dramatic reduction in in toxins across the board, multiple different types. And I think it's because of the the strength of Ayurveda for detox. So I, I agree. I think it has a lot to offer in the area of autoimmune disease.
1: In my experience with autoimmunity, I've always been struck by the prominence of the mind-body component uh, and have found mind-body methods very effective in managing autoimmunity. I assume that's included under your R at the end of Tiger. Is that so?
2: Yes, absolutely. Stress is established to be a trigger for the initial diagnosis of multiple autoimmune diseases uh, and also a driver of flare-ups and exacerbations mm-hmm. once one does have an autoimmune disease. So it is a really huge factor.
0: And you've written uh, in some of your books about really interesting um, beginnings of what we consider autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis that responded uh, to Reduction in stress, uh, but how do you think about the underlying mechanism of what's happening that makes you susceptible? Do we become chimeras in this particular part <laughs> of?
1: Well, immune phenomena are so responsive to changes in mental state. The demonstration that hypnotic suggestion can make warts fall off. Mm-hmm. that's an immune mediated uh, phenomenon or prevent blisters from forming. In people in trance who are touched with a piece of hot metal, I mean, we've known those things for years, and it's it shows that the immune system is very responsive to uh, interventions at the mental level
0: mm-hmm. so Andy, do you have a favorite Um, way that you suggest to people who may have been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease to activate their uh, natural immunity to use this mind-body connection?
1: Well, my favorite technique, which I can't always do, is to introduce a patient to someone who has their condition who is now well. That can override yeah. a lot of medical hexing that they may have been exposed to. And many people don't believe that they can get better. And to see someone that has their condition who is now better can be a very powerful way to change that mindset.
0: Yeah. How about you, Akil? What do you do mm-hmm. with people around the mind-body connection?
2: I give people choices because the studies do show there's multiple ways to effectively reduce Mm -hmm. stress to impact autoimmunity favorably. I'm a big fan of meditation. I think there's Mm -hmm. excellent research on the neuroplasticity effects of meditation, how it boosts Mm -hmm. both gray matter and white matter, reduces age-related atrophy uh, of the brain and promotes beneficial gamma brainwaves and multiple things. So if a person is open to meditation, I encourage that. But if not, I tell them there's other alternatives like being out in nature, doing psychotherapy, you know, counseling, biofeedback, guided imagery, uh, journaling. Prayer can be a very powerful practice. So I try to find what a person enjoys because that's the key thing. They have to stick with it consistently.
1: What do you feel is the place of the biologics in treatment of autoimmune disorders? These are such powerful uh, new agents. They're very expensive. They certainly have downside to them. I worry that uh, they're often introduced very early before other methods are tried.
2: Yeah, I do share your concerns, and I think these are very powerful immune suppressants. And so they carry long-term risk of serious infections, in some cases, increased risk of certain cancers. And uh, yeah, and I agree. I I think it's it's better if they are kind of a second or third line uh, rather than the very first treatment. Although increasingly, I'm seeing in my patients that they're they're recommended biologics as a first line therapy, which is, yeah, which is unfortunate because there's so much else that can be done in integrative medicine and even in with regular conventional medicine, anti-inflammatories and other things. So I, I agree, I, I think I am concerned about that.
0: You mentioned gut health as one of the uh, letters of the acronym and um, we are learning so much about the microbiome. How do you think this uh, gut, either brain access or gut immune access, how do you think of it playing a role in autoimmune disease? And again, what can we do to Uh, have the healthiest gut possible?
2: Yes, I think that with autoimmune disease, there's three main gut microbiome findings that have been associated. Uh, First is reduced diversity of the microbiome. So we know that's a good metric for overall robustness, how diverse the microbiome is. Second is dysbiosis, where there's a decline in beneficial bacteria and overgrowth of potential pathogens, which trigger immune activation and inflammation. And then third is increased intestinal permeability, which is also seen as one of the earliest um, steps in the progression to autoimmune disease. What do you recommend to
1: correct that?
2: (laughs) So I think there's multiple things that affect the the microbiome. I think diet is one of the biggest. So having uh, plenty of plant-based fibers, boosting the diversity of plants in the diet, including plenty of prebiotic foods that those are foods that feed the keystone species in the microbiome, incorporating fermented foods. There was a study from Stanford showing that six weeks of fermented foods actually boosted the diversity of the microbiome and reduced uh, 19 markers of inflammation in the blood. So diet, I think, is probably the biggest factor. And then in, in addition to that, Um, avoiding unnecessary antibiotic use. If it's essential, that's fine. But antibiotics are associated with a loss of diversity and dysbiosis. And then stress also has been shown to have a negative impact on the gut bacteria through this gut-brain axis. So I think managing stress does help the gut directly.
0: And you are a big fan of spices um, and uh, Mm -hmm. some of those spices that come, again, from the Ayurvedic tradition. Can you talk a little bit about spices and their role in gut health?
2: Yeah, that's another strength of Ayurveda and something valuable it can offer in our modern times because spices are considered a, a branch of medicine in Ayurveda because Not only are they anti-inflammatory and excellent antioxidants, but they actually are antimicrobial because that's how we preserved food for millennia before we had refrigeration was with spices and salt. And then they also really help with metabolism and blood sugar regulation. So some of my favorite spices in autoimmune conditions are ajwine. So ajwine is a lesser known spice, but it's a very powerful antimicrobial, also has anti-inflammatory properties, and it does boost the digestion as well. So ajwine seeds, if you go to an Indian restaurant and you see a little bowl near the cash register with the seeds, usually ajwine seeds are one of those because it helps you after that heavy meal to digest food. And then everyone knows about turmeric, so maybe no need to mention that, but it's amazing for so many reasons. I think black cumin is very powerful and it's it's not as well known. It's different from regular cumin, but uh, black cumin, also known as black seed or nigella sativa, has really powerful anti-inflammatory effects. Um, In fact, there was a randomized placebo-controlled trial in patients with Hashimoto's thyroid disease showing that a month of taking black seed oil uh, actually lowered their antibody levels, um, improved their thyroid hormone levels. So I think black cumin is another one I would emphasize.
0: And do your patients incorporate these in their food um, or do you have them take them as supplements?
2: Yes. For most people, I think getting them through foods is effective because so with black cumin, for example, I recommend people put it in a like a peppercorn grinder and just grind it mm-hmm. like you with black pepper over dishes. Mm-hmm. I think with turmeric, it's really uh, best to get it in, in as many different forms as you can. I think like cumulative lifetime intake of turmeric is probably an important health uh, factor. And then with a lot of these spices, They're designed for cooking, culinary use, so those quantities have measurable effects. In one study, one-eighth of a teaspoon of clove powder actually reduced markers of inflammation in the the blood of um, healthy adults. So that's just a pinch, one-eighth of a teaspoon. Mm -hmm. So for most people, I think Mm -hmm. just incorporating it in the diet is what I recommend.
1: How open do you find rheumatologists are to this approach these days? Mm -hmm. Is that changing?
2: I think it is changing slowly, yeah. So in our medical group, Sutter Health, which is one of the largest medical groups on the West Coast, the rheumatologists actually came to us in integrative medicine and asked if we could do a presentation about the, oh, some great. of the things that are helpful and uh, to their their group. And, uh, and they've started to refer more and more patients to us. So even though they themselves don't use integrative medicine, they're increasingly
1: open to it. Good. Victoria, we've had a, a fair number of rheumatologists come through the fellowship. Is that Yeah, so? we've
0: had about 40. And uh-huh. um, I'll just say this, uh, if any of our listeners are rheumatologists, we actually have a full scholarship that was awarded mm. by two wonderful donors for rheumatologists to do our Integrative Medicine Fellowship. One of the things I think Integrative Medicine is really good at is um, interrupting a process early on. So sometimes we have someone who comes in and they tell a story and you think, well, they don't have rheumatoid arthritis, but huh, it sounds like they may be moving in that direction or ulcerative colitis or something else where they don't meet all the criteria, but you sure are worried about them. And I think this is a place where integrative medicine can be especially effective at uh, stopping something, reversing something. Has that been your experience?
2: Yes, absolutely. I think that uh, in Ayurveda, there's a six stage steps pathogenesis for diseases, and symptoms only appear in step five out of six. So those first four steps, things are occurring, often non-specific symptoms or asymptomatic, and catching it earlier is beneficial. And with autoimmune disease, especially, we know it develops slowly over, Uh, In some cases, 10, 20, or even 30 years. So for example, with rheumatoid arthritis, uh, a study found that you could detect the rheumatoid factor autoantibody in the blood, in some cases, 12 to 14 years before the person was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. So there are a lot of opportunities for early intervention. And I think the earlier you can catch them, the more uh, likely it is you'll be able to reverse it.
0: So the E is uh, eating well, and um, I know you wrote a whole book about eating well, but one of the things I have heard you speak about a bit is the carnivore diet, which Mm -hmm. is the latest fad, of course, carnivore, you should only eat meat. And what I heard you say, which I thought was intriguing, was that in some sense, it's an extreme form of an elimination diet. We're not meant to stay on elimination diets, but sometimes there can be benefits. So do you ever recommend the carnivore diet? And if so, what have you found? (laughs)
2: Yeah, I typically don't because I find that a more moderate approach still works for for more people (laughs) because uh, that is an elimination diet, but there's uh, much less radical elimination diets that still include Mm -hmm. healthy plant foods. And um, I think the challenge with the carnivore diet is you're really not providing any food to the microbiome because the the, the bacteria do not feed on animal proteins. So over time, if you're staying on it for a long time, like months and months, you're slowly starving the, the microbiome. And we know that has detrimental effects in the long run. So short term, I do believe there's more balanced elimination diets. And that's what I recommend.
0: Got it. So never a reason to go all the way to carnivore, huh?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's not something I recommend. I do have patients on their own who've tried it and then reported remarkable results, which is is great. But then I try to get them to reintroduce some fibers from plants because that's that's essential.
1: How about vegan diets or vegetarian diets? Yeah, so with vegan
2: and vegetarian diets, there is research for rheumatoid arthritis showing that in some cases, that can be helpful. So in all my patients with RA, I do recommend at least a trial of a vegetarian or vegan diet, because for some, that can really be a game changer. We have less research for other autoimmune diseases, but I think that if a a person ultimately is following a plant-forward diet, where they're incorporating plenty of plants as the foundation of the diet, even if they want to incorporate a little animal protein or stay vegetarian, I think the foundation of the diet is, should be on, based on plants, and that's the key for immune health, I believe.
1: What about fasting? There have been some dramatic reports of remissions, total remissions of rheumatoid arthritis, for example, with long-term yes. fasting, although typically the disease comes back when people start eating again unless they find a way to transition.
2: Yes, exactly. So yeah, fasting and especially intermittent fasting does have evidence of benefit in rheumatoid arthritis and also psoriasis patients Mm -hmm. and some early research in multiple sclerosis as well. That was done with the fasting mimicking diet, which is uh, like a low calorie diet designed to mimic the benefits of fasting. So yeah, I definitely encourage it, reduces inflammation, improves metabolic health boosts your um, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. I think there's multiple benefits to fasting.
0: So I want to, again, point to your expertise in Ayurvedic medicine and ask about the role of doshas in your diet. If someone is a pitta, a kapha, a vata, are you exploring different diets for people who have these different constitutions?
2: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I think one of the strengths of Ayurveda is its understanding that everything needs to be customized because no two individuals are the same, and that holds true with the doshas, which are the three main forces in the body, Vata, Pitta, and Kapha, and each person has a unique proportion of those three, which is their body type, and then there are different dietary recommendations for that. So I definitely include that as one of my lenses in dietary counseling. And also, it's very important to eat according to the seasons because that makes a difference during the summer versus winter, the the types of foods that are recommended. So eating locally, eating in tune with the seasons, and eating for your body type are are all critical.
0: What else did you learn uh, doing the research for this uh, new book and from your care of patients that you think is important for people to understand when it comes to autoimmune disease?
2: I think the the role of stress is really under recognized, and mm-hmm. and also the effects of early childhood trauma, those stressful experiences, mm-hmm. the ACEs, in adverse childhood mm-hmm. experiences, those have been linked to much higher risk of autoimmune disease in adulthood. So a person with two adverse childhood experiences has a 200% higher chance of developing an autoimmune disease in adulthood 30 years later. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because of the chronic stress and sympathetic activation of those uh, traumatic events that then persists for decades and contributes Mm -hmm. to inflammation. So I think in some cases I found with uh, autoimmune patients, addressing trauma through Mm -hmm. practices like EMDR or a good psychotherapist that's trauma-focused can really Mm -hmm. be transformative for their autoimmune condition.
0: Well, Akhil, I just want to thank you for uh, your groundbreaking work um, in autoimmune disease, and I think it's it's really empowering for people to discover that there actually may be a set of things that they can do to either reverse their autoimmune disease or to uh, greatly improve their health so that maybe they just need a very small amount of medication. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that so many people have put this together the way you have. So thank you for your book and for your work.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah, you're very welcome. And yeah, and I think that it was my goal because the medications are life saving and there's a role for them. So we're not mm-hmm. rejecting those, but if we can reduce the dosages by boosting some of the integrated medicine strategies or even reduce the number of medications, maybe bring a person mm-hmm. down from three medications down to two, I think that's of value in the long term because of the potential side effects of these drugs. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you so much for being our guest on Body of Wonder, and so glad that you're out there doing this work with patients.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Victoria and Andy. Really enjoyed our conversation
1: today.